In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome full-time radio play-by-play announcer and the former public address announcer for the Rockets, Matt Thomas. I think you're all going to really enjoy this one as we talk to Matt about how he got involved with the Rockets and his journey to becoming the in-house voice of the team. For aspiring announcers, either public address or radio play-by-play, this is a must-listen-to episode. So now, enjoy our chat with Matt Thomas. He was the public address announcer for the Houston Rockets and now is the full-time play-by-play radio announcer for the Houston Rockets. We welcome Matt Thomas onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Matt? Justin, it's a pleasure to be on. How are you this evening? Doing really well, and thanks for coming on to the show when I first reached out to you. Um, you were the public address announcer, and then all of a sudden you became the full-time play-by-play announcer, the voice of the Rockets on, on the radio side of things. How has that been for you in terms of adjusting to that full-time role? Well, it's a, a dream come true. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to shoot basketball. I wasn't a good athlete, so I had to talk about basketball. So I was able to, at the age of 22, be the PA announcer for the Rockets during their first two championships. And then I stepped away to do some play-by-play for my alma mater, the University of Houston, moved to Salt Lake and to Minneapolis uh, for a handful of years, and then came back in 2010 and then had a chance to reconnect with the Rockets, uh, which was now six years ago. Uh, to do the PA for the home games and the radio play-by-play for the road games. Uh, we had a broadcaster here by the name of Bill Orell, who had been a broadcaster for the Rockets on television for 40-plus years. He'd cut his schedule back to tra- non-traveling. So he officially hung it up last year. And uh, Craig Ackerman, who was the normal uh, television announcer on the road, got the home assignments as well, and I slipped into the home spot. So uh, everything came full circle, and I have been uh, very happy and pleased that uh, I get to call all 82 games. I'd like to say 82 plus playoffs, but first things first, we got to get this uh, rebuild underway. For sure, and I want to talk to you about the differences between you know radio play by play and being the public address announcer. Mm-hmm. What was what was the transition like, and what kind of adjustments that you had to make, you know, in getting onto like being you know calling each play on kind of the radio side of things? Because you know even with TV, you know it's it's, it's very visual. You can actually see what's happening. But radio, you're painting the picture um, in terms of the listener's mind. So what adjustments did you have to make? Yeah, it's not really adjustments. It's just the change of assignment. Gotcha. Uh, when I was doing the PA. I would never do the play-by-play because that's what PA announcers don't do and ever do. So you basically have an on and off switch. And when the basket is scored or a foul is committed or a timeout is called or traveling or double dribble, you say it and then you move on. If you have to introduce the dancers or a a contest, but uh, that's one job that never requires you to do the exact play-by-play of everything happening on the court. Radio play-by-play, as you mentioned, is the theater of the mind. And you're responsible for telling the audience that's listening to every single thing that happens. So it's not an adjustment. It's just you have a new responsibility. So you have to take the responsibility that's given to you and you go with it. And that's why, uh, for me, it's a lot more work. But as a broadcaster with a radio show and a play-by-play guy through and through, it was the adjustment I was ready to make. Can you kind of go over your journey in terms of when you first became the public address announcer for the Rockets, what that experience was like, and maybe just draw a parallel. It's not a parallel, but like the differences between when you first, you know, became, you know, part of the Rockets organization to now right. just to the evolution of just the game of basketball in general professionally. Yeah. Uh, 1993, I was just 21 years old and uh, the Rockets were looking to uh, hire a new PA announcer at the summit at the time where the Rockets played. And uh, they had an audition, and I was a young broadcaster working for a radio station in Houston. And my bosses and my friends said, hey, 
go try out for it. What do you have to lose? And I had done PA when I was in high school. And I always knew that would be something I'd like to do in my life at some point, along with the radio play-by-play or television or whatever it is. And so I applied and I got all the way down to the final two, but I didn't get the job originally. Uh, they gave it to somebody else who had had, was older than I was and had perhaps more speaking experience because I was really just young in my radio career. didn't have a lot of talk show experience, would add a few things here and there. I was more of a sidekick than a host. Mm-hmm. Well, they hired this guy. And uh, part of being an NBA PA announcer is knowing the NBA, the vernacular, the two minutes, the fouls, how to say it, when to say it. And he just never could catch on. So probably in January of 1994, they let him go and they called me back and said, would you like to take over? And I said, well, of course I would. Here I am still 21 years old at the time. And I'm the PA announcer at the summit with the best seat in the house. I mean, I'm center court on the floor. I mean, there's nobody has a better seat than I do. So we finished that half season up, and oh, by the way, they won their first championship in 1994, and I was on national TV, and I made an appearance on the Late Show with David Letterman uh, as a guest to introduce a couple of his buddies at the time named Mujibur and Sarah Jewel. These were like these were a couple of, of uh, David Letterman's neighbors who were traveling around the country, and they came to Houston. So I got a lot of notoriety of that. Did the full season in 1994-1995. They won their second championship, did 95-96, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get a call from the NBA to do the World Championships in London, where I did the PA for every single game in wow. London while I was there. I was only supposed to do the Rockets games because at the time, the Rockets were the United States representative to this, these FIBA championships. They said, hey, do you mind sticking around doing every single game? So I would do U.S. versus uh, Australia, and then the next game I'd have China versus Argentina. So there were a lot of names that I had to go through, and it was certainly a great experience. And I was able to bring my girlfriend with me at the time, who is now my wife of over 20 years. And so that was a great experience. And then uh, I did the Olympics in 1996 because of what my experiences were like in London. So uh, Dream Team 2 at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, I was one of the four PA announcers that did every game. So there was obviously many more countries. So we split up between the four of us, and I did two of the Dream Team games, which I thought was very cool. Here I am again, just 22 years old. So I was uh, I was a, a kid in the candy store. Did the 95-96 season, and then the University of Houston, my alma mater, which I was still a student at the time because as my radio career was going and my Rockets career was going, I had forgotten to do one thing, graduate from college. <laughs> so I'm working 40 hours a week doing the Rocket stuff doing the play-by-play for the University of Houston, and I'm going to school at the same time. So here I am calling a football game, say, at LSU, and there are three or four guys in my class that I'm calling the play-by-play for. So that was a very interesting run. So I did that uh, for a couple of years. I did Rice for several years. I went to the University of Utah for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, full circle, after I moved to Salt Lake City and then on to Minneapolis, as I said, in uh, 2010, I decided to bring my family uh, back to Houston, where we where I grew up and where their grandparents were and whatnot, and uh, kind of hung around, did some play-by-play, and got back with the University of Houston, and was happy to do the University of Houston games on the radio until the Rockets called me and said, "Hey, we'd like you to be our PA announcer again." And I said, "Well, thanks, but no thanks, because play-by-play is much more of, of a prestigious thing for me than just doing the PA." And they said, "What if we gave you the road games on the Rockets and the PA at home?" I said, "Done." And I had done it the last five years. And it was a really interesting mix because I don't think anybody in NBA history, I mean, there may be some PA guys that are play-by-play guys, but not doing it at the exact same time 
okay. doing PA and road radio play by play was kind of an interesting dynamic and combination. So I'd have been happy doing it for three or four more years. But when Bill Orell decided he wanted to retire, that's when the transition made the took place. And that's why I'm now fortunately able to do all the games on the radio now. I want to ask you, do you have any kind of interesting stories in terms of, you know, players coming up to you and in, in terms of how they want their names to be pronounced? Did they have any like, weird requests in terms of how they wanted to be introduced or just maybe even like announcing the opposing team, kind of what that dynamic is like, just trying not to give yeah. them energy. They're the opposing team. You want them to lose. So, well, what's... I'll tell you this. I'll give you one great story. Sure. It's the only time I think I've gone viral since this, my second tour with the Rockets. Remember the Rockets and the Warriors played for the Western Conference Championship? What was it 2017, I think? I believe so. 18, whatever that was. Sure. These years get lost in transition. Yeah. <laughs> it was the year that Chris Paul hurt his hamstring. Mm-hmm. Rockets are up 3-2 in goal, at Golden State. They have two games left at the Toyota Center to win the Western Conference Championship. Well, Game 7 comes into play, and TNT – Brings Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Ernie Johnson. They do their studio show from the arena as they would normally do during the Western Conference Finals. They decide to carry my starting lineups. And anybody that had been to Toyota Center before knows that I am very much deadpanned, indifferent, almost rude about the starting lineups for the other team. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. I'll say, at the time, at guard from Arizona State, number 13, James Harden, and get real excited. Or I'll say CP3, <laughs> bring that team. Well, if it's the other team, I'll say, this is what I would go like. I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Toyota Center for tonight's game between the Golden State Warriors and your Houston Rockets. Now, let's meet tonight's starters. First, for the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> and I did that on national television. And I rudely introduced Draymond Green. And Clay Thompson <laughs> and Steph Curry. And I rudely introduced uh, Steve, uh, uh, Steve Kerr, the coach. And it went bonkers in the NBA <laughs> world. You can still go to YouTube and have people watching me do the lineups going, this guy is savage. He's so <laughs> rude. 99% of America thought it was the greatest announcement ever. 1%. <laughs> Oakland, San Francisco. Right. Yeah, it was, that was for me the the moment of wow. That's interesting. That my lineups, which I do for every team, I treated Golden State the same way I would treat Memphis. I would treat Cleveland. I would treat uh, Brooklyn, Orlando, whomever. That was the moment because it was on national television. People saw how anti I was for the visiting team. Matt, I want to talk to you just about the, the vibe of the Rockets right now. We talked off air just about how the team is going through a rebuilding stage right now. What is the vibe of the fans, not only through this rebuilding process, but also things from a you know sporting standpoint, getting back to normal in terms of like full capacity crowds yeah. compared to the past two seasons? What has that dynamic been like for the, the fans specifically in Houston? Well, obviously, it's very early in the game. Uh, but fans being in the arena obviously makes a difference not only in Houston, but in every other city. Uh, the reality is this was a terrible basketball team last year. It had the number two pick. It had a, just as good a chance of being one, two, three, or four than anybody else did in that bottom rung because of the record. It had been hit by COVID. It had been hit by injury. It had been hit by Russell Westbrook being traded, James Harden being traded, P.J. Tucker being traded, Christian Wood missing a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, it 
it, the organization just for the first time, think about this, I don't know, 20 years, hit rock bottom. I mean, even when the Rockets weren't making the playoffs on a regular basis or were just getting in, they had never gone 20 and 62. They had never gone 30 and 52. They were If they weren't making the playoffs, they were in that 41, 42, 43 win category. So this was such foreign territory for the Rockets and their fans, probably going back to the early 80s when the Rockets got Ralph Sampson with the first pick one year, and then the next year they got uh, Kim Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, at this point, expectations are minimal because of all the young players. We're talking about four first-round picks. We're talking about two of them under the age of 20. We're talking about a really young basketball team that's been kind of built by scratch. There are a couple of veteran players still around. DJ Augustine, Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel Tice coming in that sign and trade with Chicago. But generally speaking, it's a bunch of babies. And I mean that (laughs) with, with all due respect. Sure. Um, what's your expectations for Jalen Green? Um, just saw a little bit of him. He seems like he has tons of potential. I know talking to some other Rockets fans and just journalists, they they see a massive upside with his potential. What do you think of him so far? Well, again, it's two games in a preseason, so I don't want to read too much into it. Uh, did not shoot well in the first game against uh, the Washington Wizards. Shot a lot better the other night against Miami. He's going to go through rookie growing pains, but obviously – the explosion, obviously a guy that can probably hit from any sport on the floor. He can attack the lane. Question's going to be defensive intensity at the NBA level. I think anybody that was doing anything sort of scouting report would say that was probably the biggest thing that was potentially holding him back. Maybe he wasn't the first pick for that, but I, I don't buy into that. He looks the part. I think him and Kevin Porter Jr. are going to be a, a very interesting, fun backcourt. The reality is, it's just going to take some time for those guys to grow up. They're going to go through a lot of growing pains. And I think Justin Franklin, the biggest thing for me is they're going to lose some games. Yeah. They might lose a lot of games. Can they withstand the, well, this is not my fault or it's your fault yeah. kind of thing. And that's what a lot of young basketball teams have to go through. Do you think they'll have the, the, the patience to, you know, realize this is not going to be solved in one season. This is going to be kind of like a, I don't know, a longer, a marathon than just a, a sprint. And it's realizing that the, with the potential of these new players, it could turn into something um, really good down the line. Do, does the, do you sense the, the sense of optimism um, with these young players, you think? Well, frankly, it has to. Yeah. Because there are no more veteran players. No, James Harden's not here anymore to score 30 points a game. Chris Paul's not here to dish out eight assists a game. Uh, John Wall has basically been told, you're not going to play, and that's the reason why he wants to move. I mean, they have cleared everybody out for these young men to be the future backcourt of this basketball team. So uh, I don't know if they've been directly told, we don't want you to win, because that'd be stupid. And the Rockets do want to win, but at the end of the day, they're going to be going against, and Miami's a great example. Miami comes in here the other night. Again, it's, I hate to use the cliche term, it's just the preseason, but it's Jimmy Butler on the floor. It's Bam Adebayo. I mean, these are yeah. veteran big boys that have won a lot of basketball games here. For them to think they can reinvent the wheel after being in the NBA circles for a week and a half of training camps is ridiculous. So yeah. I think you've got to keep expectations uh, minimal, uh, but you have to understand that, the Rockets in the city of Houston are not accustomed to, you know, I don't mean to throw other teams under the bus, but, you know, Atlanta's lost a lot of games up until last year. Phoenix yeah. had lost a lot of games. They don't want to be Charlotte. They want to be a destination for free agents to come here. So 
get the backcourt underway, get these young players, how many of the first-round picks wind up being rotation guys, whatever that is, let them grow up on their own, and then when they're ready, go be more aggressive in the free agent market and trade market to maybe sneak in the playoffs the next couple of years. Um, I'll pass it to my co-hosts. Go ahead, Matt. Yes, and hello. I'm sorry I'm jumping in halfway through this technical difficulties, but thanks for joining us, Matt. Um, I wanted to ask along the lines of having patience with this young team, what is the dynamic and expectation with Coach Silas? You know, pretty rough season last year. How is that relationship with the front office? I think it's very strong. Uh, clearly, this was a basketball team a year ago that was playing 500 basketball until Christian Wood suffered all the variety of injuries he mm. had, and then they lost 20 in a row. Mm. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't think that it would be in Steven's best interest to lose 20 in a row this year. Uh, mm. But you got to remember, guys, there were some times last year that they would only be able to suit up eight. And of mm. those eight, seven could play. There were nights that one or two of those players could not physically play, but they had to put the uniform on in order for the game to be played. That's how bad it got. They were bringing in players left and right that had just signed with the team. Kyrie Thomas, Armani Brooks. I'm trying to think the most consistent player probably on that team last year in terms of playing a lot was probably Kelly Olenek. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was in and out of the lineup. Wall was out for a while. Christian, what I mentioned before, uh, you know, they make the move with Kevin Porter Jr. So he's kind of getting acclimated to playing full-time in the NBA after not playing at all, basically, with Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So, look, he's he's got a long leash. But there's got to be a little bit of a – now you've got some parts. You've got four first-round picks. You went and got Tice away again from Chicago. Just make it more competitive. And there were just too many nights last year that they would try their best because they were – you know, because Steven Silas is such a good guy. He is such a guy that you want to root for. But they'd run out of steam in the third quarter because depth was an issue or just off-shooting nights or, I don't know, four games in five days that they ran out of steam, and that's why the loss is starting to pile up. Gotcha. Um, where do you see the ceiling for this team this year? I mean, with them being so young, do you think there is an outside shot of like getting into a play in tournament game or where do you kind of see the potential? Because I mean, you do have some leadership of course, from like Eric Gordon, um, however much coaching there'll be with John wall on the bench, giving his experience to that young backcourt. What do you see as this team's ceiling? If you gave me the Rockets have a chance to play in the tournament, I'd take it right now. Now, of course, I want them to be in the playoffs. Sure. Uh, I would think probably if I posed that to Steven Silas and to Rafael Stone, the general manager, they'd probably say the same thing. Uh, but, yeah, I would say could you get to 35, 36, 37 wins, maybe to finish in that 10-9 spot? I, I would take it. Uh, it's, just, it's just it's a hard question to ask because, you know, sure. when you're calling their games, you don't want to say, well, I envision them losing 50. That it's just <laughs> right, right. It's just one of those things you don't want to say. So you're not going to say it. Uh, but I also know that there are going to be nights where the Clippers, the Lakers, uh, the Bucks, the, I mean, all the, the, the heavyweights are going to come in here and say, we got a chance here to feast on a young basketball team trying to grow up a little bit. So I would say, you know, don't let your guard down against winnable opponents. And then maybe you get to that 32, 33, 34 win mark, which, you know, for me, would obviously be a dramatic improvement over last year's basketball team. Matt, what is your overall expectations for the rest of the league, um, particularly the Western Conference? Um, a lot of people, you know, in terms of just NBA Twitter and just general fans, they're kind of 
pretty much penciled in the Nets and the Lakers as a foregone conclusion in in the finals. Do you sense that there's a lot more just, I don't know, competition within both conferences in terms of just the unpredictability? Or do you think the Lakers or Nets are going to be the favorites? Um, the Nets are the Clippers to me of the last couple of years with chemistry issues. I think you saw that last year. I know that Kyrie Irving now has been told he can now practice with the Nets because it's a private facility, I guess, in Brooklyn is what I heard today, I think. The longer the uh, time that Kyrie and Durant and James don't work together, meaning missing 10, 11, 12, 13, 20 games, whatever that may be because of injury or COVID or whatever it is, protocols, that haunts them, I think, in my mind. I think Philadelphia is interesting what they're going to do eventually with ultimate with Ben Simmons. I think you can't sleep on Milwaukee. I'll tell you what, I liked Miami. They were in here and again, Young team, you know, young, young back end of their bench, but that front seven, eight guys. If Robinson's going to shoot the way that he does, and Tyler Hero steps up his scoring game with Pete, with uh, PJ Tucker playing that defensive role, and then Jimmy Butler just finding the basket, and then Kyle Lowry looks like a spring chicken. I mean, guys have been in the league 16 years, and he looked pretty good to me the other night. They could be a sneaky pick if they all put it together. It's what they're going to do with those th- last four or five spots in the rotation. If they can get anything out of their 9, 10, 11, 12 guys out of their group that might make them interesting. As far as the West is concerned, obviously everyone thinks the Lakers because of all the firepower, but Utah's invested a lot of money in a couple of players. You know what I'm talking about? Denver has a big three that are all making serious cash. So it's almost like if the Lakers don't get it, it'll be a surprise. And if Denver and Utah don't pose a greater threat, those organizations may be saying, wait a minute, we're spending all this money on you guys because you wanted these max deals. Why aren't you getting any further along? Why aren't you beating a Laker team that maybe has LeBron James on the downside for the first time in his NBA career? That Russell Westbrook, for all the fantastic things that he does, still doesn't shoot really on a regular basis 40% from the floor. If I'm Denver and Utah, I think this has got to be a – it should not be a foregone conclusion that the Lakers win the championship. Does Dame Lillard stay in Portland all year long? Who's to say? I think it's pretty wide open. I think it's way more wide open than the quote-unquote NBA experts thinks it is. I think that's a really good point just because you have the Golden State Warriors. I mean, if Clay Thompson comes back healthy as well, I mean, they're as dangerous as Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of formable competition. Go ahead, man. Yeah, no, a lot is discussed about, you know, with the Nets looking so strong in the very few games that they played together as a trio, you know, the East is stronger. Do you think the balance of power has shifted more to the Eastern Conference this year with the potential instability of some of those Western Conference teams? Or how do you see that balance of power right now? I mean, I think it's, you know, and I forgot to mention the Clippers, too, uh, as a Western Conference contender. Yeah, I think it's really four deep in both leagues. I think Mm. it's good for the league. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to admit this, but five years ago, did you ever envision Milwaukee ever winning a championship? Yeah. That Milwaukee would ever become a free agent destination? Frankly, Adam Silver would never say this, but it's good for his league that it's not the LA, Chicago, Miami, New Yorks that are always doing their thing. Now, if the Knicks become, uh, take a next step up from what they did last year, that adds another team to the mix. You have to have balance. You have to be able to have more than just three franchises that every NBA player wants to go to. And all the stars are there with the rest of the guys being minimum guys. Now, will Memphis, Cleveland, Charlotte ever be in the mix? They'll have to do it one way and they'll have to do it through the draft. 
kind of how Milwaukee did it. So I love it. It'll make things much more interesting in both leagues because, guys, you've been watching the NBA long enough. There was a time, especially during Golden State's heyday, it was who's playing the Golden State Warriors and how many games <laughs> they can lose in the Western in the NBA Finals. That's yeah, true. and and or who is LeBron playing in the, in the right. finals this year? What uh, team is LeBron going to take, and will he be able to get him to a championship? And then when he leaves, will they start back down to thirty wins again? Yeah, that's. I mean, to your point, to me, it it just felt. It's unfortunate that injuries were involved in the narrative, of course, but it was kind of a breath of fresh air to get the Suns versus the Bucks last year in in the finals. I mean, as as someone, I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so. Uh, you know, I I have family down in Houston, so I am a Houston Rockets fan. That's my connection to that team. But, you know, as an overall basketball fan, I think it's great for growing the narratives around the young talent in the league to have like a Suns-Bucks finals last year. Oh, I think it was fantastic, especially because, uh, and I've done lots of games in Phoenix the last half decade. It's a great NBA city. I mean, it certainly was in the 70s. And then when Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson were doing their thing in the 90s, it was fun. Uh, but it got dormant real bad there. And uh, to see them kind of sprout up and, and be something different, I think, was a great situation for the NBA. I think for us that are just NBA honks, we need to have 14 teams to think about as compared to wherever LeBron is and how many jump three-pointers is Steph Curry going to make. So for me, as an NBA aficionado, I got the league pass this year, and I'm pumped because the nights that I'm not watching my Rockets – I can see other teams play and kind of have this a little bit of unpredictability to it, which I think is going to be great. Totally agree. Matt, I wanted to ask, um, you know, last year you were the PA announcer for the Rockets and that gave you the opportunity to record for NBA 2K. Can you tell us what that experience was like? It was awesome. Uh, my, uh, I have three children, a daughter and two boys, and my boys just can't believe their father's on a video game. It doesn't make me any of a cooler of a dad, but they can at least pretend that I think I'm a cooler dad. Uh, the reality <laughs> is that uh, the NBA, NBA 2K called me probably in uh, early April and said, hey, we're going to change things up here with NBA 2K. Because, you know, I'm not a video game player, so I don't I can't speak to this. But they're always trying to reinvent the wheel, try to, you know, keep be innovative. And they said, we're going to have a conversation with you on Zoom. And can you join me? And I saw it. I didn't. I said, hey, we're about to say you can't tell anybody but we're going to hire every NBA PA announcer. We're going to bring them to California and we're going to put you in a studio and you're going to come stay with us for five or six days. And you're going to be one of our voices. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, what time is my flight? So <laughs> uh, they wanted to get me there earlier, but because of my responsibilities as the play-by-play boys on the road, when the Rockets were playing, I had to be there regardless of either I was a PA announcer or the play-by-play. So I couldn't go until after, the end of the rocket season. So in May, I went for a week and I would get to the uh, studios in Los Angeles at about uh, 9 45. We'd record from 10 to noon and we'd have lunch and then we'd record again from one to three. And I did that for six days. And uh, just to put into perspective, I was doing everything from player names to shots made, fouls, turnovers, introducing uh, starting lineups. Uh, doing national anthem introductions, just anything that you would hear a PA announcer do. And to put things in perspective, anytime I said something, whether it was Rockets or I said uh, Wilt Chamberlain, or if I said the number nine, every time I said something, it was a line. I did 9,000 lines. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I would spend wow. an hour doing 42 42, 
114, 114. So I think I went up to 150 on both, I think. So I did, it's good. It's no good. I mean, just any, it was, it was mundane. It wasn't particularly interesting, but I knew what they were trying to do. They just wanted to load up every single line that anybody could say. Yeah, I would think you guys could imagine what a voice of anything would say. And so I go in there in this room and it was just, some days are awesome. When I was doing the two free throws, you know, the, my voice was good. But when I was going two free throws, I mean, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, all together, it was six days. It was fun. I was in Southern California. I actually snuck away to see a Dallas uh, a Mavericks LA Clippers playoff game. Noah nice. Eagles, the voice of the Clippers, had a chance to hang out with him a little bit. So that was fun. But uh, it was a great experience. And then be able to see the game for myself. I gave away some copies of my audience on the radio. I gave away some of my friends. And like I said, my boys think I'm cooler for a couple of days. So it was all well worth it. That's awesome. Matt, this has been a fantastic chat. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media. And then anything else you want them to to, to keep your eyes peeled besides your uh, play-by-play duties. Well, I have a daily radio show in Houston on Sports Talk 790, which you can get at uh, sports790.com and also on the iHeartRadio app. I'm on from noon to three central time. So Albuquerque, that's 11 to two your time. Uh, Justin, you're in Denver. So you're also, you guys are two mountain time guys. Yeah, mountain time. Yeah, correct. So 11 to two mountain, 12 to three central. Uh, I have a Twitter account at SportsMT. I have an Instagram, the same thing. That's just my, just pictures. Uh, SportsMT is, I talk about all things sports because I do a daily radio show that covers everything, including uh, Alex Bregman of Albuquerque. And uh, so we talk about all sports, but I obviously focus a lot on basketball during the basketball season. And then again, you can always find me on Rockets Radio calling the games. And so it is uh, a dream come true. I've had a great time so far. I'm living my best life, frankly, gentlemen, with my career. And uh, I appreciate coming on your show tonight. Well, I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you very much for the chat. Good luck to the Rockets this season and just have a great call this season as well. Call anytime.